Welcome to Trinity's Decision and Life Sciences, the podcast that brings together industry experts to discuss the important decisions being made today and the impact that those decisions are having on the healthcare ecosystem of tomorrow. The pandemic continues to present to the life science industry challenges on how to reach providers and patients through their commercial and medical affairs organizations. Do stakeholders really know the direction they need to go and how to prepare themselves for the rest of 2022? Hi everyone, my name is Ken McDermott, Executive Commercial Operations Leader at TGAS Advisors, a division of Trinity Life Sciences. And today, we're going to be joined by a panel of three experts from Trinity's advisory team. Hello everyone, would you please go ahead and introduce yourselves? Hi everyone, I'm Lisa Klein and I lead our field operations practice here at TGAS. Hi everyone, I'm Jerry Luciano. I'm the Vice President of the Digital and Omnichannel Solution here at TGAS. Hi everyone, Steve Lowe. I head up the Commercial Insights and Advanced Analytics Solution at TGAS. Welcome everybody. It's a pleasure to have you all here. Um, hey Lisa, I'd like to start with you. Hey, with respect to the pandemic, what has changed regarding field operations and what continues to evolve? Interesting question, Ken. So what has changed and what hasn't changed has been the question on our minds and the, the network's mind for the last couple of months Things like launches, things like alignments and targeting and thinking about how we consider these activities really has not changed too much over the pandemic. What has changed, though, are the inputs to those processes, the inputs reflecting things like customer 360 views, things like what emails are being sent, how can we approach this physician in a different way, when did we send an email, when did we contact this physician via Facebook or some other place on the internet, how are all of those things together and working together with the way that the field reps contact physicians? So it's not only that we're looking at calls and frequency and reach, which that's a a different topic altogether in terms of the metrics that we're looking at, but it's not just the field activity. It's also considering some of those other activities that are going on to be able to contact the physician and deliver the right messages to those physicians for the right patient. As I mentioned, some things that haven't changed are how we approach launches, uh, how we approach some of our processes around targeting and alignments. Those things really have not changed as much as we might have expected. When it comes to things like CRM, of course, there have been some obvious changes, right, around the need to reflect different call types and think about what those different call types are and think about how to support those different call types. Virtual calls are now a thing. Um, So there are a lot of of differences there in terms of how we record calls and how we think about performance in the field force. So that's an interesting kind of topic, Lise, right? So there's some things have stayed the same, right? Access is still really hard for the reps, right? Um, You got this introduction of maybe an acceleration in telehealth. And obviously companies, at least from what we've noticed at TGAS, haven't reduced their sales force in size, right? And structure. But some things have evolved, and you mentioned things like KPI metrics. How about the role of the rep and the type of training that they've been asked to maybe undergo since the pandemics uh, started back in March of 2020? Yeah, the role of the rep is continuously evolving. We've had many conversations with the network about this in the last probably 18 months. Um, I think there was some supposition at the beginning of last year that the role of the rep was really going to evolve quite a bit. It was going to be a completely different job, right? So now instead of just being used to the in-person, face-to-face conversations with physicians, that it was now going to evolve 
and it has evolved to in person as well as being able to handle a virtual call and everything that comes with that, right? So there was training that came with that. There was practice that came with that. There were some expectations that came with that. Over the last 18 months as that's evolved, certainly we've kind of, quote, come back to in-person. And and the virtual piece perhaps has, has decreased in importance. However, what we know from conversations and with interviews with physicians is that that's not really ever going away. So the need to continue to train and practice and think about that virtual engagement It's still very, very important, especially if you lose contact with a physician in person, right? If the physician suddenly changes or the pandemic and the virus kind of increases in a certain geographic area, you have no choice but to leverage the skills in virtual selling because you don't have those skills or you don't have that those opportunities to always have in person. And that that varies across geography. It varies across specialty and it it varies across across just the ability of the rep. Kind of interesting when you think about how access has been really limited. And you're right, some offices now are beginning to open up and there's policies that need to be followed. When access was really difficult, maybe I'll move to Jerry because this is an interesting way to how different channels opened up when access shut down. So you think about omni-channel, you think about digital. Jerry, just some, some thoughts from you about the way, maybe the new way that pharma industry is engaging with customers and how they're promoting in these different channels. So there's really two things that we're seeing that are transpiring in in parallel to each other. The first is this concept of of omni-channel. So with access constricting and organizations looking for new ways or additional ways to engage physicians, they're really trying to think of the whole ecosystem and the array of channels that they have to engage with physicians. So Rep is still the primary channel, but what other supporting channels can they bring to bear? And how do they get individuals in the organization to think of all of those channels in conjunction with one another? So how does social, how does email, how do triggered emails, next best action, how do they all come together to really focus on the physician? That's one area that we're seeing start to really mature in organizations, whereas historically, it was typically each channel was siloed and independent of each other. The other significant thing that we're seeing a lot of lately is this movement towards how content is created, approved, and disseminated. If there's one thing that the pandemic has taught us is the need to get information out quicker. And the traditional linear approval process and creation of content just wasn't really meeting brands' needs to communicate with their target audiences. So we're seeing organizations really go through this transformation of how teams are constructed and moving into this more pod-like mentality, these matrixed organizations, where you have everyone that is needed for creation to execution of content co-located. So that allows them to produce more content quickly, but what it also allows them to do is segment their user base more definitively. So in the previous iteration, brands would create a message and it would go to everyone and they would get really low engagement. What they're doing now is segmenting physicians based on different variables and creating specific content in order to go to those physicians so the end size is smaller, but the engagement we're seeing is, is increasing. But in order to feed that model, you need content. 
And the way to match and create that content is through this agile approach to it. Hey, Jerry, it's kind of, it, when, when you think about this new approach to, to content creation and the speed in which it needs to, which the goal of it is to get things out into the field quicker, learn, course correct, and come back. It sounds like there's just a different skill set right now inside of, of these organizations or a skill set that they're looking for. Is the role changing and does pharma have the right people to drive this type of transformation? You know, it, it, it's slowly evolving because as you think of an agile model, traditionally pharma has not really engaged with that. So they don't have the inherent skills to kind of just put people in these roles and it organically work. So what we're seeing is upskilling of individuals within the organization, whether it's from a center of excellence, from the brand teams, or even to some degree their agencies. But we're also seeing organizations pull in some external individuals outside of the industry that really have this organizational understanding of how to bring about Agile's transformational and using the combination of internal and external resources to stand it up. It can be a significant change for organizations. So it often requires executive level leadership to push these types of initiatives down. But where we are seeing organizations adopt this, we see them being very successful as far as increasing engagement with physicians because of the targeted content and because of the ability to interact with them more quickly. Couple that with my earlier comment around complete omni-channel orchestration and rep activity, it really starts to support the physicians with content when they need it. Incredible changes that's taking place around messaging and around specific targeting and segmentation. It sounds like what's supporting that activity and that effort has a lot to do with where advanced analytics has come in the last 18 months. Maybe not a genesis of new things, but just the acceleration of what's happening in the advanced analytics stage. So, Steve, I, I want to kind of dovetail to you and, you know, following up on some of the comments that Jerry made, when you think about advanced analytics in pharma, what are some of the advancements that they've made? What are some of the things that organizations have done in regards to analytics to help with this type of approach? Yeah, sure, Ken. Well, as, as Lisa said, Jerry, we're we're talking about at a high level, what's going on is the customer engagement model is changing and it's kind of in flux right now. And what we see across the industry is that most companies really don't have it completely figured out. Some are further along the continuum than others. But I, I would say that I don't think there's one company that has it completely figured out yet. So that change in the customer engagement model means there's a lot of change going on with analytics, as you said. So you know, what are we seeing that's going on in the industry? Well, number one is a, a deeper need for a deeper understanding of the HCP interactions. So th there's lots more channels now besides just the rep channel or the sample channel and basic A&P, which was, you know, when I started the industry 20 years ago, that was about it. Now, you know, you're talking dozens of different types of channels and ways to interact and, and reach physicians. And the analytics has to catch up to that, like what's going on and what's working, what's not working. And, and again, so I think that's a, a big trend that we see within analytics in the pharma industry right now. One of the areas that's, that's really important is predictive analytics. The industry is moving away from these blockbuster products that go out to literally millions and millions of patients and hundreds of thousands of physicians that you could call on every week. 
and you would know that that physician would see you know 10 uh, of your target patients every week so that that world is moving away to the more precision precise medicine world niche patient population so the reach and frequency blanket that pharma used to do no longer makes a lot of sense and with that you need predictive analytics like who is my most important customer that I should call on this week or this month? Who actually has a patient that could actually benefit from my therapy? So that that move towards predictive analytics is very important. At the same time, there's a need for it. And there's also the capability for it with all the patient level data, the new data sources, the computing power, the machine learning algorithms that have been invented literally within the last you know, five to 10 years that weren't even around when I was in grad school looking at statistics. Um, so it's, it's very interesting from that standpoint. I want to ask you a question because you, you, you were talking about the way that these things have advanced themselves. You know, a buzzword inside of pharma right now and maybe it's more than a buzzword, is this next best action type of analytics and how that type of analysis flows through everything that the field base is doing, like with Lease and Phil Operations and Jerry's doing in Omnichannel. Can you speak a little bit about that concept and, and, and what it really means in the overall scheme of an analytics platform? Yeah, sure. Well, TGAS did a, a pretty major landscape earlier this year in 2022 on Next Best Action to see what's going on in the industry. And the, the industry is certainly adopting it, although I would, according at least to our landscape, less than half of companies are scaled when it comes to Next Best Action at this point. But I think everybody realizes that the need to coordinate all of the different channels and levers that they're using right now uh, is absolutely necessary. And so that's why this push for next best action is out there. So we've got to coordinate the field force along with their email campaigns, along with their digital campaigns. You have reps sending emails, you have headquarters sending emails, and all of that needs to be orchestrated so that uh, the different parts of the organization know what's going on. So I think, again, that model is, I think, in a nascent phase right now in the industry. There are some people who are doing this at scale, but at this point, it's a minority. But that's certainly a major initiative for most companies. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot of proof of concepts being piloted a year ago, and maybe those proof of pop concepts are now moving into into actual scaling and, and rolling some of these, these uh, advancements out. Yeah, and Ken, if I could just add to that, you know, that, that same study that we conducted across the industry, across all functions of commercial operations, what we did find is in organizations that are leveraging next best action, it's really around triggered emails or, you know, focused solely around the rep actions. Where we're seeing companies start to dabble is in that omni-channel space. So taking the data listening to what the data is telling us, and then determining the right message and channel, be it a rep-driven channel or some other channel, to really kind of broaden this, this focus of next best action so that you can really take advantage of all of the, the channels, all of the content that you have as an organization to interact with your, your physicians. And to some degree, perhaps eventually consumers. But right now, it's still very, very elementary when it comes to next best action and driving interactions through the rep. The advancements taking place inside of Farmer, it's incredible to see, and it's incredible to be a partner of it. Now, with the couple minutes that we have left, I, I did want to ask each of you, 
a provocative question, which is with the clients that you work with, and at TGOS, we work with over 40 of the large companies in the industry. On our emerging side, it's almost 90 plus. One of the things that's really interesting to know is, uh, and I'll start with you, Lisa, is what do you think is keeping clients up at night for the folks that you work with and that you engage with? So I, I think it spans two areas, right? So interestingly, what we've heard a lot recently is they're quite concerned about their own teams, right? Making sure that they stay motivated, making sure that innovation still happens, making sure that people are, you know, okay during a hybrid type work schedule, um, making sure that when they come into the office, if they do come into the office, that there's purpose, that it's not just come into the office, sit in, at your desk and do video meetings all day long, right? So that there's purpose to come in, that people feel heard, that people still feel like there's advancement opportunities within the team. So I, I think that while, you know, we, we often focus on the rep-physician interaction, there's quite a bit of conversation about how do we make sure that our own teams are, are doing okay and are, are motivated and still see the same opportunities that maybe they once did. There's some movement. There was, you know, the great resignation after bonuses were paid. There's some movement, but quite honestly, what we found in, in one of our recent studies is, yeah, there's, there's some movement, but there's also a lot of movement internally promotions and and movement to other departments and things of that nature. So that would indicate that people still feel like there are opportunities, but there's a lot of attention paid to that and making sure that that still comes through from a, even from a company culture perspective, right? So making sure that that still comes through. So I think that's one piece of it. I think the other piece of it is, you know, kind of what we acknowledge and all three of us have acknowledged and, and we talked about at the beginning, which is when we think about you know, at the base of this is who, who are we targeting or who are we communicating with, right? So whether or not it's through an omni-channel perspective or it's through a field perspective, who are we, who are we talking to? And as we look at all the different specialties, there are some physicians that say, my construct is different. I can't even figure out how I'm seeing patients. I don't have time. I don't have bandwidth. Maybe my system doesn't allow me to see reps in the same way as I've seen reps before. At some point, there will be some acknowledgement of these physicians. How how will they be contacted? Do they come off of target lists, right? Do they then be included into a an omni or some kind of other type of engagement list? How will those target lists evolve if they will at all, right? I think as a rep, we never want to release our most amazing, highest writing physician from our target list. But the fact of the matter is, if that physician is not going to see reps, what do we do about that? And, and I don't know that we've had a really, really good answer to that yet. So I think that's something that's on people's minds. That's great. Thanks, Lisa. Steve, thinking, on, thinking from your perspective, um, what are your thoughts about what's keeping your, your clients up? Yeah, I think there's a couple of things. I would echo what Lisa said around uh, talent management. I think that's a big thing with advanced analytics becoming more and more important in, in pharma. A new type of person is being hired for that role and the hiring, the retention of those types of people. And what's even their career progression within the pharma organization is something that I think organizations are, are struggling with. The other is around uh, how to deliver the analytics that these organizations are producing. How do they become a partner with their stakeholders rather than being perceived as a, as a service provider who just sort of dumps analytics. So this whole idea behind 
how do I get my organization to become more of a consultative organization, a storytelling organization? Because stakeholders want the big picture because there are so many different things going on, as we just talked about, that the, the, the overall mix of analytics is much more complex. And so the need to bring that all together is, is so much more important. And that's something that I consistently hear from our clients. Great, Steve. Thanks. Thank you. And Jerry, there's no missing it. There's a digital explosion going on in, in pharma. Same question to you. What do you think is keeping your clients up at night when it comes to the digital and the omnichannel part of, of their business? Yeah, it's, it's interesting, Ken. I, I just read it, an article recently around the demographics of physicians and how digitally native physicians are going to overtake non-digitally native physicians here in the next several years. So we're seeing the age of physicians, the, the makeup of physicians change and organizations need to change as well. And what that means is finding digitally native marketers who understand what a digital first mindset is not just create a print piece of material and put it online. So sourcing those types of individuals who can think from that perspective in pharma, you know, it is slowly evolving. But the other thing that really keeps people up at night is just this perception that we're behind. You know, my organization's behind. Um, my management saw something really cool online and said, well, why aren't we doing that? You know, and the reality is, no one is is doing everything great. There's organizations that are doing certain aspects of, of digital and omnichannel really, really well. But for the most part, everyone is relatively in the same band when it comes to maturity. So so the, the folks that kind of lay awake at night saying, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm so far behind my competitors. And then, you know, we have those types of conversations and we find out that everyone's pretty similar. But they're kind of two of the things that, you know, we've had a lot of conversation about with our network in the past uh, six to eight months. At TGOS, we, we work with clients um, and our engagement has never been never been better than what it's been lately. Uh, and there's reasons for the value that, that we bring. So, listen, I want to thank Jerry Luciano and Lisa Klein and Steve Lowe for joining the podcast today. And on behalf of the three of them, Trinity and TGOS Advisors, this is Ken McDermott. I want to thank you again, and we look forward to talking to you all very soon. Follow the link in the episode description to download Trinity Life Sciences Advisory Brief, capitalizing on opportunities to drive impact in commercial operations, and understand the data behind the insights based on Trinity's work with over 2,000-plus individuals across 300 partner companies and the key themes that emerged during our 2022 Spring Virtual Client Summit.